Good morning. It is April the 26th, and after one day of sun and another day of in and out sun, getting colder, today we have, we're right back almost to winter. No snow, but cold temperatures and uh, overcast. And uh, again, the weather is a teacher, isn't it? So we just take it as, as it comes and we choose the response that we, we bring to it. So I hope your weather is, uh, is a good teacher for you today. The, the essay I want to read from The Issue at Hand, Gil Fransdale's book of essays, Essays on Buddhist Mindfulness Practice. This one is called Questioning as Practice. And uh, remember when he was uh, his first, uh, he, he was a Zen, studied to be a Zen teacher, a Zen priest, and then later became a Vipassana or insight teacher. So this is called Questioning as Practice. The Dhammapada verse that goes with it is Dhammapada 21. Attentiveness is the path to the deathless. Inattentiveness, the path to death. The attentive do not die. The inattentive are as if dead. Questioning as practice. In my first question to a Buddhist teacher, I ask, what kind of effort is needed to practice Zen meditation? He questioned back. He questioned back, who is it that makes the effort? His response made no sense to me. The conversation came to an immediate end. As I mulled over this exchange, I concluded that I would have to answer both my own question and his counter-question for myself. In doing so, I discovered that there are certain spiritual questions that we answer only through our own direct experience. Over the years, a series of such questions have motivated and directed my practice. A question of this kind propelled my early Zen practice. How can I be alone in the company of others? In other words, how can I interact socially without fear and ego? This question loomed in importance after a period of solitude in which I discovered a freedom and peace that was unsurpassed by anything I had experienced before. Rather than turning toward solitude as a solution to my difficulties in the world, the question prodded me to keep exploring and practicing in social life. Later, another question directed my Zen practice. How do I participate most fully with the issue at hand? Or how do I overcome the tendency to hold back and feel separated from whatever I am doing, whether it is breath meditation or chopping vegetables? This proved to be a very useful line of exploration because it kept my practice focused on what was happening rather than on ideals hopes, or self-preoccupations. I didn't look to my teachers to answer these questions, nor were these questions that called for pat answers. 
They were to be answered anew in each situation. Richard Baker Roshi, one of my first Zen teachers, encouraged his students to reflect at length on our concerns and questions until we found their kernel. Many of us tended to conjure up long narratives from our lives and personal relationships as preludes to asking for advice. Or we would ask abstract questions about Buddhist philosophy. As an alternative to such questions, Baker Roshi directed us to refine the question down to the core of the identity, intention, or viewpoint upon which it rested. For example, when I was kitchen supervisor in the monastery, I had difficult relationships with my crew. I didn't rush off to a teacher to describe the difficulties and ask for advice. Instead, I lingered with my inner tensions until I realized that my contribution to these tensions was a fear-driven desire to be liked by everyone in all circumstances. Realizing this, I found it more productive to come to term with the need to be liked rather than to fix the external relationships. And in attempting to do so, questions eventually focus the inquiry. Who is the self that wants to be liked? And why is this? Who is this self? Excuse me. Who is this self that is afraid? At the time, I did not know how to answer. However, much like that first counter question, who is it that makes the effort? These questions provided motivation to continue my practice. Often, the greater the meditative stillness that holds an essential question, the more likely a resolution will well up from within. I experienced this when I faced the question of whether to begin graduate school or to enter a Buddhist monastery. When I gave mindful, non-reflective room to my inner sense of struggle and discomfort, I was surprised that a remarkably clear decision arose to enter the monastery. Later in Burma, key questions continue to propel my practice of intensive vipassana meditation. One was, what is it to be thorough in the practice? Another was the classic, what is the self? A distilled version of, who is it that makes the effort? And, who is this self that is afraid? With wills almost of their own, these questions spurred me to keep drawing attention away from my preoccupations and back to investigation. My Vipassana teacher, Sayadaw U Pandita, reinforced this approach. He was strict in directing his students to investigate their direct experience instead of asking abstract existential questions. He had a tremendous confidence and insistence that if we look deeply and clearly enough, we could discover whatever is needed for becoming more awake and free. The only question that seemed appropriate and universal was, 
What is this? We were to cultivate an unbroken and relaxed investigation to continue seeing even more deeply into the particulars of the present moment's experience. In practicing mindfulness in this way, I found it useful to turn the question, what is this, back toward the quality of the awareness that knows or is investigating. Such turning of attention back on itself can have a number of fruits. It can highlight any grasping, aversion, or complacency that has become mixed in with how we practice. Perhaps more profoundly, it can reveal the clearly insubstantial nature of our self-concepts, that is, of all concepts of a self, of a knower that experiences. The ultimate value of inquiry within Buddhist practice lies with strengthening our trust, equanimity, and capacity to remain open in all circumstances And when meditative equanimity is mature, a simple question, an opening to unknown possibilities, can sometimes release the last threads that tie us to the conditioned world, moving us toward greater freedom. I like how he's talking about his Zen training and then his Vipassana or insight training. So from one school to another, but he's seeing how how they bridge from one to the other and bringing the, the questions into that immediate present moment. Yeah, I, I, I like that essay. Uh, there's so much, we have so much in common. It's wonderful to see these bridges. So, should we read another one? We have read a lot of these essays. I'd like to we- read another one, Receptive awareness. I don't think we've read this one before. Receptive awareness, and it's very short. And here's the Dhammapada verse. See the world as a bubble. See it as a mirage. The king of death does not see one who so regards the world. Dhammapada 170, receptive awareness. Our awareness is like the air around us. We rarely notice it. It functions in all our waking moments, and a form of awareness may even continue in sleep. Some people don't recognize the functioning of awareness because it has never been pointed out to them. Even when we know about it, we easily take it for granted and don't appreciate it fully. Perhaps the prime reason we don't notice awareness is that we are caught up in the content of our awareness. That is, we are preoccupied with what we think, feel, and experience. 
Usually daily life entails negotiating our way through what awareness knows, the content of our thinking and perception. An important part of Buddhist practice entails being aware of the other half of perception, receptive awareness itself. Becoming aware of awareness itself is a capacity we all have. Meditation offers a powerful opportunity to discover and rest in a receptive mode of knowing. Receptive awareness is very close to the idea of a witnessing consciousness. I'll read that sentence again. Receptive awareness is very close to the idea of a witnessing consciousness. Beginners in meditation often assume that our ability to witness means that there is someone who is witnessing a particular, unique, and lasting subject or agent within us that is the witness. We have a strong tendency to dichotomize our world, especially between the perceived and the perceiver. Similarly, we often make a distinction between the doer and the action. I am the doer and I am doing something. I am the speaker who is speaking. Most of us consider the idea that there is a perceiver or a doer to be simple common sense. Buddhism challenges this assumption. These dichotomies are the cornerstone of the huge edifice of self. As soon as we have a perceiver, we have a concept of self, which becomes a magnet for all sorts of culturally conditioned ideas about what a self should be like. Our sense of self can be closely and painfully related to ideas of what is worthy, what is good, and what is required from the world around us. Emotions can arise directly from the way we conceive our self. If our self-image is threatened, we can easily get angry or fearful. Guilt can come from relating to self-image, to ideas of good and bad, right and wrong. I'll read that sentence again, too. Guilt can come from relating a self-image to ideas of good and bad, right and wrong. Both praise and blame can energize us when they affect the way we define and represent ourselves. And when our sense of self is neither supported nor threatened, some people get bored, bored with the people they are, they are with or bored with the situation. Resting in receptive awareness is an antidote to our efforts of building and defending a self. As this capacity develops and we begin to trust it, the assumption that there is someone who is aware falls away. Self-consciousness falls away. Sometimes this is called an experience of non-dualistic awareness. The distinctions between self and other, inside and outside, perceiver and perceived, disappear. There is no one who is aware. There is only awareness and experience happening within awareness. 
Part of what we learn to do and practice is to steady our attention, to develop a simple, receptive awareness. We aren't necessarily abandoning the world of ideas or even the idea of self. Instead, we learn to hold our lives, our ideas, and ourselves lightly. We rest in a spacious and compassionate sphere of awareness that knows but is not attached. In this way, our response to life can arise from our direct experience rather than from our abstract ideas and attachments. There is no one who is aware. There is only awareness and experience happening within awareness. I like that. And I like this about our practice. We can sit with this today. Part of what we learn to do in practice is to steady our attention, to develop a simple, receptive awareness. So why don't we do that? We have a few minutes. We have about 10 minutes where we can sit. So a steady awareness. Let's just be with the breath. Let your body be lifted up. Whatever posture you're in, you can lift up your spine. And when we feel that spine lifting up, if we roll our shoulders back, our front is open, our heart is exposed. But our, our breath, the breath becomes uh, naturally deeper without any effort. So just be aware of the body breathing, letting your hands relax in your lap. And aware, awareness can also see, is your mind calm? Is it settled? Or is, the, or is mind chaotic, so full of busyness? See if you can just relax, let go.
Bring everything just to the present moment. Let everything else go right now. And in this present moment, we can be relaxed, we can be calm, Stay with the breath. And let it be your natural breath. So you can really examine the breath. You can look at it, be aware of it. Awareness can include the breath. Notice how each breath is slightly different from the one before and the one after. Notice the quality of the breath. And notice the breath in the breath. So as you breathe, awareness is on the breath. A breath may be shallow, The next may be long and neat, deep. Just have awareness on this. Allow the body to relax.
can you rest in awareness? Are you resting in awareness? If you can, continue to sit, just sitting in awareness. No need to, to bring the self out. <laughs> just let it be enough. But as I go, let's share merit. May everything I do and say and think today be done not only for my own benefit, but for the benefit of all living beings everywhere throughout the universe. And may all suffering end, and may the causes for suffering end Thank you. Have a lovely day, whether it's sunny or overcast. Uh, let it be your teacher. And I will see you on Thursday. Thanks.